I don't know about you, but I've had a good time at church so far today. I loved being able to worship God together with all of you. And I think it's a sign of a good worship service when the singing's over and I'm disappointed. I think that, man, I just wanted to keep singing praise to God. So thank you to the worship team for doing that. I got a fun comment about um, Roddy's meditation. They got to Andersonville, and he he said to Gina, now you just don't mind me when we get in there. She's been listening ever since, Roddy. Hey, I want to start with a story this morning. Anybody ever heard of Lawrence Ripple? <laughs> ben has. Lawrence Ripple. In 2016, at the age of 71, Lawrence Ripple walked into a bank in Kansas City to rob it. Showed the teller a gun and he said, bring me a bag full of money. And the teller did what she was supposed to. She complied. And she gives Lawrence Ripple a bag full of money. He gets the bag, he looks at her, and he says, now you call the police. And he very calmly goes and sits in a bench in the lobby and puts his gun down and sets the bag of money down and waits for the police to arrive. Of course, they arrest him. A little later, he's at the police station. He's being interrogated, and the police say, why did you go into a bank, rob it, and tell the teller to call the police and wait calmly for us to arrive? And Lawrence Ripple, this is a true story. Lawrence Ripple said, I would rather go to jail than spend one more day at home with my wife. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. It gets even better. Months down the road, it comes time for Lawrence Ripple's trial, and the judge sentences him to six months of house arrest. Hey, we're in the middle of a sermon series called A Church That Needs Corinthians, and I would say that Mr. and Mrs. Ripple could use a little bit of this sermon series. The idea of a church that needs Corinthians is that sometimes church is messy. Sometimes life is messy. 1 Corinthians is a messy book. It's a problem-solving book. It's full of Paul answering messy questions that came from people We had real-life issues when they really decided to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians is messy, but we want to be a church that needs to read 1 Corinthians because it means that we're reaching people who really need Jesus. I read a quote this past week that sums up this series really well. It's from a gentleman named C.T. Studd, and he said this. He said, some people want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a mission within a yard of hell. I think C.T. Studd wanted to be a part of a church that needs to read Corinthians. Today we're going to be looking at an interesting passage. There's a lot in this passage. It talks about husbands and wives and that dichotomy of authority. It talks about the clothes we wear and it talks about worship. If you weren't mad about something when you leave here, you probably weren't listening. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to talk about clothes. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about the authority between husbands and wives. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll have all the text up here on the screen. And uh, that'll be from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Also, uh, if you're a guest with us, I want to let you know that we have a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline that'll help you track with me, get down some key concepts. So go ahead and pull that out of your bulletin now. It's on the back of the prayer request page. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we will start in verse 1. 
Paul's this, I'm so glad that you were always... Uh, that, that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings that I passed on to you. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without covering her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. Man shouldn't wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And woman reflects, God, or reflects man's glory, for the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born of a woman, and everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without a covering on her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it's been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. You know what I, uh, you know what I thought when I began preparing for this sermon and I read the passage for the first time? Why in the heck did I pick this? There's a whole Bible full of stuff to preach from, and I picked this passage. Let's take a look at what's going on here. Head coverings. Uh, let's talk about head coverings. Corinth was an epicenter for pagan activity. Detroit's famous for making cars. Pa- uh, Corinth is famous for making idols. And one of the hallmarks of idolatrous worship in Corinth was sexual promiscuity. Okay, we're just going to say it like it is. Okay, there was a lot of prostitution in Corinth. There's a lot of that going on. And one of the ways that people began to distinguish themselves from people of that profession was to put a head covering on. If you were engaged in the profession of prostitution, you didn't wear a head covering. And so the women said, all right, this is a pretty tried and true uh, way to distinguish ourselves. We'll just put a covering on our head and that'll leave no doubt. So that's the context of head coverings. That's where it originates from in Corinth. And that's the reason Paul brings it up. The reason Paul brings it up is because it has the potential to be a distraction in the worship service. People start saying, hey, who's that, who's that praying right now? She doesn't, she doesn't have a covering on her head. Is she, you know, what does she do for a living? And all of a sudden, nobody's focused on Jesus. Here's my point. If, if we do anything in a worship service, if a church does anything in a worship service in Corinth or now or at some point in the future, if we do anything in a worship service that distracts us from Jesus, we're doing something wrong. It's all about Jesus when we come here. It's all about Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. Take a look. He said, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. 
so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you're following the teachings I passed on to you. There's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is a man, and the head of Christ is God. It's all about Jesus. Paul says, imitate me, not because Paul thinks he's worthy of being some excellent example, but because he's following Jesus. He's trying his best to imitate Jesus. Then he takes that thought and he applies it a step further. He applies it to our relationship. He says, God's the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of man. And man is the head of, the text says woman, but it means wife. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. Because uh, this is one of those passages that has the potential uh, to make me real angry. If I'm just being honest with you. A few things in the world make me more angry than a little boy who abuses this passage of Scripture for the sake of his own selfishness. All right, if that's you, if you're using this verse to say, well, wife, you're under my authority, I do what I say. If you're using this passage that way, you're not a man, you're a boy who shapes. Okay? So let's talk about this here. Passage isn't about getting your wife to make you a sandwich or be your servant or have sex with you or stay quiet as you play video games all night long. Just the opposite. This passage highlights the awesome responsibility that the man of God has in relation to his wife. So let me ask you a question. Think um, on all your knowledge in the New Testament. Look at the four Gospels. Think about what you've read there. How many times did Jesus say, you know, guys, I'm just going to do what's best for me today? You think of any of those passages where Jesus said that? And I know this is what would really make the most difference for everybody that I'm ministering to, but I just don't really feel like doing that today. I'm just going to do this. You think any of those times when Jesus said that? It's because those passages aren't in the Bible. It's because that's not how Jesus lived. Jesus never said, I'm going to do what's best for me. What he did say is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What he did say is, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. What he did say as he knelt in prayer in the garden shortly before he was arrested and led away to his death is not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus said, and that's how Jesus lived. So ultimately, what he did was completely counterintuitive to any rational human self-protective thought. He allowed himself to be killed even as he held the keys to his own freedom. He could have commanded all the angels of heaven to come down and slay the guards and those who mocked him and minister to him as his body was physically healed by the power of God immediately. He could have spoken, and the cross that held him would have splintered into a million pieces. And he did none of those things. Why? Because what was best for us was that he suffer and die on that cross. Because what was best for us is that he take the punishment for the sins we've committed. When God looks at me now, He doesn't see the sinner that I am. He sees the punishment that Jesus has already paid for me. And it's so interesting to me that God looked at Jesus the way He should have looked at me 
so that he can look at me the way that he should only look at Jesus. What did he say to Jesus when he was baptized as his ministry began? He said, well done. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did he say to Jesus as he hung on the cross? He didn't say anything. He turned his face away. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his face away. And that's how God should look at me, to just turn his face away. I am unworthy to speak to him. I'm unworthy to pray to him. I'm unworthy to be in his presence. But because of the death that Jesus died for me, what he now says is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what Jesus accomplished for us when he allowed himself to die, when he was obedient to the point of death. So let me give you a principle. Men, husbands, it's not about who you have authority over. It's about how you serve those you have authority over. It's not about how, it's not about who you have authority over. It's about how you serve those who you have authority over. Husbands, that's how we live our lives as men of God with authority over our wives. We wake up every day and we say, I'm going to do what's spiritually best for you. I will love you the way that Jesus does. Because he gave up his life. Maybe I need to give up the remote or put down the controller or handle our money better or stop looking at some other woman. Maybe I just need to sit down and talk to you. But I will love you the way Jesus does. And all of a sudden this verse isn't about what I can get you to do for me. All of a sudden, this verse isn't a tool to get what we want. All of a sudden, this verse is a chisel that removes our selfishness one chip at a time. Let me make another point. If the only thing we want is what we want, we're not showing Jesus to anybody. If the only thing we want is what we want, we're not showing Jesus to anybody. I'll come back to that here in a minute. Now, wives, let's talk just a minute, because some of you are going, I don't really like the idea of this verse. You're going, it's 2018. This passage seems a bit antiquated, doesn't it? Not at all. See, wives, what what Paul's saying here is that you're not submitting yourself to a little boy who shaves. You're submitting yourself to a man who, who is committed to put his trust in God and is committed to love you the way that Jesus does, surrendering his own will, surrendering his own preferences for the sake of what's best for you. That's the man you're submitting to. Well, what if that man doesn't act that way? What if I'm dating a guy who doesn't live that way? Then don't waste your time on him. Well, if I'm married to a man who lives that way, then pray for him daily and love him dearly as you wait for him to grow into the man that God has called him to be. So wives, as you submit to your husbands, understand that it is submission to that husband, to that husband who has your best interest at heart in all things for all time. And husbands... Anything short of that requires us to repent immediately. So let me say it again. If the only thing we want is what we want, we're not showing Jesus to anybody. Because 
because the life of Jesus was completely void of selfishness. His only concern was for the people he came to rescue. People like you and people like me. Jesus was selfless. And as followers of Jesus, so should we be selfless too. That's the point that Paul's making in those first few verses. Let's keep reading. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. All right. I already talked about this idea of women wearing a head covering, but uh, notice that contrast between the man and the woman. Women should wear a head covering. A man shouldn't. We know why a woman should wear a head covering in Corinth, but why should a man not wear one? Well, because remember, this is a pagan epicenter. A lot of idolatrous practice going on in Corinth. Um, And in a lot of the pagan rituals that took place, the men, as part of their ceremonial dress, would have hoods or head coverings. Paul's saying... Men, we don't want you to be mistaken for some sort of pagan religion. We don't want there to be any question as to what you are doing. So make sure your head's uncovered. Women, make sure your head is covered. The point is this. The point is this. Nobody should be mistaken for anything other than a follower of Christ. Nobody should be mistaken for anything other than a follower of Christ. So women, cover your head. Men, make sure your head isn't covered. Women, make sure your hair's long. Men, make sure your hair's short. These ideas, the, the head covering, the length of your hair, these are very specific ideas to Corinth. There are Christian groups today that say that you need to wear a head covering. And my response to them is, carry on. Wear your head coverings. Don't wear your head coverings, but don't mandate that I do, and don't have a problem that we don't wear head coverings at this church. All right? We can agree to disagree in Christian liberty on that. We're going to be fine. But understand that it's not a biblical command for us to do that. All right? If you want to wear your head coverings, go for it. Just don't make us do that. Don't hold us to that standard. Roy Lauren's a theologian. He says this, There's a difference between principle and custom, and the practice of head covering is simply a custom. It was the most expedient way to share Jesus in that time and place. Thus, it was law. That law does not apply to Christians in all ages. For a woman to go about with her head uncovered in in a Corinthian church, it would have distracted people from Jesus. But today, to require head coverings in our worship services, I believe it would distract people from Jesus. It's kind of like the story of the Christmas ham. Anybody ever heard of the story of the Christmas ham? You're ready for a little bit of levity. You're like, I'm sick of hearing about head coverings. Let me tell you a story about a Christmas ham. There's a woman. She's making the Christmas ham. Everybody's coming over for Christmas dinner. She pulls out the recipe. First thing in the recipe, get ham. Okay. Cut off two inches from each side of the ham. Okay. Check. I don't know all the rest of the directions off the top of my head because I'm making it up. So she puts the ham in the oven and everything's fine and she doesn't think any more about it. But later that night she's going, I wonder what reason there is for me to cut off two inches from each end of the ham. 
and it bothers her enough. She calls her mom. She said, Mom, why do we cut off two inches from the ham on each end? This is just what the recipe says. Yeah, no, but why do we do it? What, what sort of technical benefit does it have to cooking? Well, I don't know. Mom gets off the phone. She starts wondering about it, so she calls her mom. Mom, why do we cut the ends off of the ham? Oh, because the pan that I had when I wrote the recipe wasn't big enough, so you had to cut off a little bit of the ham. <laughs> See, something may make sense at one time and in one place, but it may not make sense for all times and all places. We have to be careful that tradition doesn't become doctrine. We have to be careful that tradition doesn't become doctrine because tradition is spoken by man. Doctrine comes from God. We have to be careful that tradition doesn't become doctrine. See, when that happens, we take the focus off of Jesus and we put it on us. For the Corinthians, it mattered. It mattered what they wore. It mattered if they wore head coverings or not head coverings. It could have been a serious distraction in the worship service. For us, head coverings aren't going to make a difference. Head coverings aren't going to make a difference today. Well, some of you are going, well, are there any hard and fast rules for what, you know, we should wear to church? Well, yeah, you should wear clothes. You should, let's start at that basic level. You should wear clothes. Make them modest. If you wouldn't wear it to your grandma's house, don't wear it here, okay? Let's, let's do that. But other than that, there's not really any hard and fast rules for what you should wear, um, except let's, let's go back to this thought that we had earlier. Don't be mistaken for anything but a follower of Christ. Don't be mistaken for anything but a follower of Christ. So on a very basic level, okay, we can say, don't wear a t-shirt that says Satan rocks. It's probably the first time that's ever been said from this stage, okay? Moving on, okay? On a very basic level, we can say it that way, okay? Uh, but on a spiritual level, when I say don't be mistaken for anything but a follower of Christ, it means make sure. Make sure that you are adorned with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the way that we reflect Christ today is much more about what's in us than what's on us. You get that distinction? It's about what's in us and what comes out of us, not what's on us. See, if you look around here today, you're going to see people in suits, You're going to see people in jeans. You're going to see people with ties on, people in polos. You'll see people in dresses, skirts, blouses, and sweatshirts. But if you look closer, what you'll see is a room full of people who are absolutely in love with Jesus. Because this is a room full of people who know that on our best days, we deserve hell. And on our worst days, Jesus has promised heaven. This is a room full of people that know we have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. But this is a room full of people that knows that Jesus has made a way for us to be reunited with him. This is a room full of people that knows Jesus loves me. We don't want anything to distract us from the beautiful truth that forgiveness of sins is possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus earned it. We celebrate that here. We don't let anything distract us from that beautiful celebration. 
That's what this sermon's about. It's not a call to wear head coverings or not wear head coverings. It's a reminder that our only focus is Jesus Christ. It's a focus that shows itself on how we strive to live the selfless selfless life of Christ and how we treat our spouses. It's a focus that that shows itself in how we serve the people around us. And it's a focus that shows off the joy of salvation through Jesus as we worship. Everything else? Everything else is just head coverings. So maybe the old hymn says it best. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Let's pray. God, you are good. You're holy and you love us. And we praise you for that, God. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for living for us and dying for us. Thank you for becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us all boldness and wisdom and compassion to live that way? For us husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, and to treat others with love and compassion. God, Would you make us known for love and for the way that we reflect your glory? God, would you forgive us when we allow ourselves to be distracted from your holiness? God, we praise you for forgiveness of sins. And we ask that that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.